0: Marshall. There have been theories advanced as to whether, how, if, and if so, why Lizzie Borden took that axe and, as the verse goes, gave her mother 40 whacks, and then when she saw what she had done, gave her father 41. Lizzie was acquitted, but the suspicion of her guilt remains. Until today, when we probe that classic mystery and take a second look at the murder of her parents.
1: Happy... I tell you, you have got to stop that running after that Matthew fellow. You're a married woman. Think of our daughters, Lizzie and Emmy, if you won't think of me. Stop that. Abby, stop it, I say. Stop laughing at me. I'll make you stop. You like it, don't you? Me being laughed at. Andrew Borden, his marriage is a joke. He can't keep his wife at
2: home. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've... I've done it now.
0: Our mystery drama, Second Look at Murder, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by James Agate Jr. and stars Roberta Maxwell. I shall return shortly with Act One. are always asking, where do you find your mystery dramas? To which we invariably reply, everywhere. From the forgotten past to the distant future. Today's tale, however, comes from a different source. A young reporter from a newspaper we'll call the Boston Courier promised that if we gave him one hour on Mystery Theater, he could solve that historical crime enigma, the case of Lizzie Borden. And so we took him up on it. Friends, here is Mr. John Howard. Thank you. Um, I grew up in Fall River, Massachusetts, so the Lizzie Borden murder case was pretty
1: familiar. Lizzie was tried and acquitted of the murder of her stepmother and father right in our new Bedford County courthouse back in the 1890s. Now, last fall, my girlfriend, Louisa, and I were hiking up by the profile rock in the woods outside of Fall River. Uh, Louisa! Duck! Get down on the ground, flat! John,
3: (laughs) it's only someone hunting.
1: Uh, I don't feel like becoming a target.
3: You don't think we could get shot by some hunter?
1: I sure do. We're neither of us wearing red, so if we move, that jerk with a rifle could mistake us for a deer. And we'll we'll crawl back the way we came.
3: On all fours?
1: We're not standing up with that maniac around. Yes, on all
3: fours with our tails between our legs. (laughs) Louisa, are you hit? No, no, something very hard and sharp cut through my trouser leg. Look at that mark on my knee. It's going to be some bruise.
1: Louisa, down there by your foot, do you see what I see? That's what you scraped your knee on, this, this old hatchet.
3: Wouldn't you know it? Hundreds of square miles of virgin forest and I have to walk into the one sharp axe. What'd you say?
1: Uh, No, I know what you said. You didn't say hatchet. You said axe.
3: Look at that rust. That's been lying there a long time. It's
1: been here a long, long time. Why'd you say axe, honey? Well,
3: probably because Fall River is so close, and Fall River makes me think of Lizzie Borden, who lived there. And Lizzie Borden makes me think of that rhyme. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. And then when she saw what she had done, she gave her father...
1: 41. 41. Louisa, whoever killed Lizzie's mother and father didn't use an axe, they used a hatchet. They never found a murder weapon back in 1892. This could be it.
3: <laughs> How can you prove it?
1: Oh, take it to the police here. Fall River has a very good crime lab, and the man in charge is an old friend of mine, Sergeant McCauley. Of course, that hatchet was a slim start, but it was a beginning. Uh, did I mention that I write feature stories for The Courier and Louisa edits our women's page? That's how we met at work. Well, now, if by any chance this was the long-lost murder weapon used in Andrew and Abby Borden's death, and I could prove it, and prove who used it, you uh, see the way my mind was working? Me, John Howard, getting a Pulitzer, local reporter, cracks murder mystery after 90 years, discovers identity of murderer of Lizzie Borden's mother and father. Quote, What I'm most grateful about, said John Howard today, is that I have vindicated the reputation of my great-grandfather, Justice Earl Howard, who declared Miss Borden innocent. I'd like you to meet Louisa Cahill. She's on the courier, too. Uh, This is uh, Sergeant McCauley, whom I told you about. He runs this lab. Welcome, Miss Cahill. Uh, John, I'm not sure we've come up with the results you were hoping for. Now, let me show you why. Follow me. (laughs) Anything at all would be helpful, Mac. We're uh, starting from scratch. You're starting from rust. Now, over here is where we examined that rusty old hatchet of yours. We put it through this spectrograph, and on the handle, we found minute traces of what may be type O, human blood, and another type not yet identified. Now, Mac, I'm a fool. Even if you came up with both blood IDs, how could it be matched up with those of the victims? Why not? They're both long dead and buried. Who are they? Lizzie Borden's mother and father. we struck out, Louisa. I don't know what I was thinking of.
3: Macaulay was sweet and tried to be helpful, but he had no idea what you were trying to prove. And you know something, John? Neither do I. Mm?
1: Even after Lizzie Borden was acquitted, still everyone thought she was guilty.
3: Why was that? Was she or wasn't she?
1: She lived in a small house in this town, and presumably if her stepmother and father were bludgeoned to death, she would have heard something. But she said she heard nothing. There was only herself and an Irish maid in that house. The mother was killed first at 9 or 9.30, then the father an hour later. No clues, no murder weapon, no blood on any of Lizzie's clothes. Now do you see why I want to know more?
3: No, I don't. How does it concern you and why?
1: I have to prove that Lizzie Borden was innocent.
3: But why? After all these years, why?
1: Well, I'd rather not say. Trust me, Louise. I'll tell you soon. But... That you can help get me all the background so I can really have the facts.
3: I suppose I could shoot into Boston and check our morgue. The university library has a great collection of old newspapers. I've used them for fashions of the past. That's my best bet for the news coverage of those days. John, how long can you take on this story? Yeah, I called
1: the old man, told him I had a good feature idea, and I wouldn't be in the office till I nailed it down.
3: Did he give you the green light?
1: mm mm-hmm, but no green paper. I can remain here in Fall River so long as I foot my own hotel and meal bills.
3: How chintzy. Did you tell him what he could do with his proposal?
1: Hey, I accepted it. So I'm booked into the Hamilton house.
3: Well, okay, I'll go now and get you the info you want.
1: If I wasn't crazy about you as a girl, I'd admire you as a reporter's leg man. <laughs> so long.
3: John? Hmm? Was that a compliment?
1: Hello? John? Louisa. Hey, you got back to me awful fast. Where are you?
3: Boston. I found something you might want to investigate right away, so I thought I'd call. In the trial, three witnesses testified that Lizzie Borden bought some prussic acid on August 3rd, the day before
1: the murders. Does it say where? Right in Fall River. Uh, Which drugstore?
3: Parsons, corner of
1: Maine and Maple. Hey, I know that place. I used to get sodas there when I was a kid. Good afternoon. Hi, uh... Uh, my name's John Howard. Uh, I used to live here in town. I'm a feature writer with a Boston Courier. <laughs> I guess uh, yours is the oldest drugstore in town. Uh, the oldest in Massachusetts. Mm. Are you one of the Parsons family? I uh, yeah. Ed Parsons. Ed was also my father's name and my grandfather's. He had this drugstore right in the same spot, corner of Maine and Maple. Hmm. Well, I'm doing a story on the Lizzie Borden case. And... Oh. I thought people had forgotten all about that by now. Well, some of us can, some of us can't. So? In the Commonwealth's case against Lizzie, three witnesses swore that your great-grandfather sold her prussic acid the day before the murders. Mm, if he did, there uh, must have been good reason. Is there any way of finding out? Could be, could be. Uh, what time is it? Uh, I make it uh, five o'clock. Uh, uh, I tell you, I'll lock her up and take her down to the cellar. I think we've got some old records going back pretty far. 1870, 80, 90, and Who knows? They may tell us something. Well, what do you make of that, Mr. Howard? It's pretty conclusive. You can't get more conclusive than that, I'd say. I don't think anybody's ever been through these old ledgers. Here it is in black and white, August 3rd... 1892 sold to Miss L. Borden digitalis. (laughs) No mention of prussic acid. Not anywhere in this 1892 ledger did your great-grandfather sell anybody prussic acid. He sold her digitalis. Of course, that's poison too. I I thought it was a drug to regulate the heart. It still is. I mean, taken in quantity, it could cause death. But as you say, probably it was a prescription from some person in a family who had a heart condition, I would imagine. Ed Parsons, we have hit on something.
3: Is this place really called the Pen and Ink?
1: <laughs> yes, Fall River's tribute to the newspaper guild. <laughs> well, the food is good, the beer is cold, it's my favorite hangout. Uh, now that we've ordered... Uh, What have you got for me?
3: This envelope is full of goodies for you, John. Copies of news stories during and after the trial. There were three judges, but the main one, you may not believe this, was Justice Earl Howard. Howard? Any relation?
1: Uh, it's a common name around here. Uh, What do these newspaper stories say?
3: Oh, there was a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking. Judges, lawyers, after Lizzie was acquitted, saying that the trial was a mockery. That the evidence offered by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts should have been enough to convict her. But that the misrulings by the court and an improper charge to the jury was the main reason Lizzie Borden got
1: off. Mm, The heat's not off the main judge yet.
3: Also, another violent death in this town a month after Lizzie's parents were murdered. I've got it in that envelope.
1: How's that death connected with our case?
3: A man called Matthew Turner, an itinerant painter who used to go from house to house doing portraits and miniatures. He was found with his face down in the pond. Some said he was drunk and fell in. Others said there was more to it. Meaning? He'd done a miniature of Lizzie's stepmother. And the scuttlebutt was, after the trial, it was Lizzie who somehow found him drunk, hit him, and pushed him into the pond. Any motive? Jealousy, I guess. Oh,
1: that poor lady. She's accused of almost every murder in Massachusetts. Now, how was his death connected with Lizzie?
3: He had a woman's handkerchief tied round his neck with the initials A.B. Abby Borden, the murdered stepmother.
1: I'll be darned. Louisa, I love you. That is great investigative reporting.
3: John, just now you said... The heat is not off that judge yet. What did you mean? I did
1: promise to tell you, didn't I? Uh, The main judge, Earl Howard, uh, he was my great-grandfather. After Lizzie was acquitted, he was hounded to an early grave by countless people who believed her guilty. He had to move from town. No matter where he went, he suffered disgrace and ostracism. That's why when you found that hatchet, I decided I had to prove he was right, that Lizzie Borden was innocent.
0: Many knowledgeable, prejudiced, and even impartial souls have argued Lizzie Borden's guilt or innocence. Except for an Irish maid whose complicity was never questioned, Lizzie was alone in the house when the killings took place. Her only defense was denials. Someone else must have entered and murdered. Now we may have still another theory given us by a guest of the Mystery Theater, one John Howard, who will tell us more when we return with Act Two. Mystery Theater are not adding more fuel to the burning suspicion that the famed Lizzie Borden was truly guilty of chopping up her parents, nor are we throwing cold water on past pros and cons. Rather, with the help of reporter John Howard, we are taking a second look at a murder so that a judge's reputation will not also die. John Howard. Continues his investigation. I sat down in my hotel room the following day
1: and began to write the story as I saw it and as I thought it made sense to me. I began with life in the Borden household one morning in the cellar where Lizzie's father, Andrew, was sharpening an axe.
2: I was wondering where you were, Father. You shouldn't be down here in this damp cellar. Lizzie,
1: I'll quit just as soon as I've got a good edge on this blade.
2: And a hatchet lying
1: over there.
3: Father,
2: will you look at you? You're perspiring all over and it's cold down here. That's not taking care of yourself as you promised, Dr. Sands.
1: Yeah, That's done. I'll... Lizzie, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. Would you go upstairs and ask Gabby to fix me a cup of tea? She's not at home. She's not at home. <laughs> Hand me that hatchet.
2: Father, you have a bad heart. Now, you're supposed to stay quiet and not exert yourself.
1: Daughter, my body gives me no trouble. It's, it's my mind that's in pain. Oh, Father. Ah, there's nothing you can do, little girl. There's nothing I can do, either. What a strange world it is. Here I sit in the cellar of my own house... weeping to my own daughter. (laughs) It's my own fault I never should have remarried.
2: Never married, Abby?
1: Never. I hardly knew her. But you and Emma, you were such little things. Your mother being dead, how could I take care of you... So when I met Abby, I thought, ah, here's a lady
2: who'll be a mother to my two girls. She was never really a mother. I'm not saying it's her fault. No, no, no. Motherhood
1: never interested Abby. The things that do interest her. The way Abby carries on with any man who happens to be... I I mean that that painter who came to do a miniature of her, that Matthew Turner.
2: Well, I don't believe that. Him? Why, he's disgusting. Oh, uh,
1: I... shouldn't have said anything. I... I think I'd better get myself upstairs. I'm not feeling too well.
2: I'll bring you your medicine. And you lie down. Oh,
1: you're a good girl, Liz. You're going to make some lucky man a happy husband.
2: I'll never marry, Father. I'll take care of you for the rest of my life. <laughs>
1: I began my version of what life must have been like in the Borden home. (laughs) Who is it? It's me, Louisa. Well, come in. May I sit? You bet. Sit, stay, help me.
3: (laughs) Is it moving, the story?
1: Gathering speed with every page.
3: You remember Matthew Turner, the miniaturist?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm just using him as a key to this. I think he was.
3: I've got more on him than his mysterious death. I'll read it to you. The Boston Record, September 10th, 1892. Quote, The deceased called himself Matthew Turner. It was an alias disguising the fact he was related to a prominent Massachusetts family living in Fall River. Is it the fault of parents the children come to no good end? Unquote.
1: Hmm. That means somebody in this town knew who Turner really was and was kept quiet. Hey, that'll fit into what I'm writing. Darn good stuff, Louisa. Hey, uh, did it ever occur to you to marry a newspaper man?
3: I wouldn't dream of it. It'd be work, work, work all the time.
1: It was almost as though there were two families in the Fall River home living under the same roof. A father and his daughters, and a stepmother, who by today's standards wouldn't have raised an eyebrow. But in 1892.
2: Abby? Abby, it's me, Andrew. She's locked herself in her room, Father. Sometimes I hear her crying. It's been two days.
1: Ah, She'll get over it. She always does. There'll be someone else.
2: All of this isn't doing your heart any good. I worry so about you.
1: Worry does no good. You keep getting Dr. Sands prescription filled and I'll keep taking it, as he says.
2: Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm all overcome with anger at how you're being treated by her. Ah, now,
1: my little wrist... You just remember what was engraved on the king's ring when he asked the wise men for a message to be looked at in good times and bad. And they came up with one short sentence. Mm -hmm. What was it? And this, too, shall pass. So, take comfort from that, Liz. Life will be better for us both soon. I'm sure of it. But life in the Borden household did not improve. One day, Lizzie took an excursion to Boston to see a play. She loved the theater. It was the 2nd of August. She arrived home at about 7 o'clock. The house was dark.
3: Father?
2: Abby? Bridget, is there anyone home? Oh. Oh, Father! Oh, oh, what is it? You've got to get up from there. Liz Can you stand up, Father? What were you doing lying on the floor? Come on now, slowly we'll we'll get you over to the sofa.
1: All right, Liz.
2: Let me light the lamp. What time is it? Where's Abby? Where's the maid? Bridget, uh, it's a day off. How was the play in Boston? I'm not answering any questions until you tell me what this is all about. How long have you been lying there? I don't don't know exactly. You had an attack, didn't you? Why didn't you take your digitalis?
1: Oh, I've run out. Oh,
2: it's my fault. I should have looked at the bottle to make sure there was enough. There's none left? Uh, A
1: few drops. Maybe it could last me till tomorrow.
2: I suppose Abby hasn't been anywhere near you all day. Yes, yes, she has. Oh, my, oh, my, yes.
1: That Matthew Turner, had the nerve to show up. I ran out and stopped him at the gate, and I told him if he ever showed his face
2: around here anymore, I'd kill him. There'll be no more of this. You are going up to bed. I'll help you. Tomorrow, I'll go to talk to Dr. Sands. You aren't getting any better.
1: Oh, I wish you wouldn't fuss so.
2: Father, you're the only person who means anything to me at all. Don't you worry. I'll have Mr. Parsons make up your new medicine in double quick time. Well, good morning, Miss Lisbeth. Mr. Parsons, I always like coming to your store... You're the only one who calls me by my rightful name instead of that hateful Lizzie, which I loathe, so... Oops,
1: I almost forgot my other customers. Excuse me. I've got three of the town's worst tattlers back there, and they can't make up their minds what kind of complexion powder or cold cream to buy.
2: <laughs> you go right ahead. I have a few minutes.
1: Well, ladies, have you made up your minds? no. Well, look, I have a prescription to make up for Miss Borden, if you don't mind. You just take your time. They're still debating the merits of various creams and powders, so we'll take care of you first. Oh, I see Dr.
2: Sands' familiar illegible hand. (laughs) He gave me this prescription because Father seems to be getting more dizzy spells and pains in the chest. I'm sure we can take care of it. May I watch? Oh, of course you can. Come back here with me.
1: Now, this is the marble table where I fill the prescriptions. Now, to work.
2: <coughs> are those biddies watching us? <laughs> yes, they are. I'll give them an earful. fool. I wouldn't. They don't look like they have a sense of humor. Yes, ladies, by all means, you may watch.
1: But I advise you to keep your distance. I am about to concoct a virulent poison. And I wouldn't want any of you to become contaminated. Eh, I'll give them some to mull over. Mr. Parsons, they'll take you seriously. Anything I cannot abide is a nosy, gossipy female. And three of them is just three too many. Now... Let's see what Dr. Sands has ordered. mm mm-hmm. Yes. It's considerably stronger than the last one. You'll have to be careful with it. Is it dangerous? Mm, digitalis can be a poison, yes. Now I place these leaves into the mortar and grind them up. Yes. An excess of digitalis could cause certain changes in heart rhythm, and we wouldn't want that. But in the right amount, it's exactly the stimulant your father needs. Now, when this is a fine powder, I steep the digitalis in alcohol and make up a tincture.
2: I... Can you come back tomorrow morning? Oh, I was hoping to take it with me right now.
1: Well, I could give you enough for three doses, say, in powder form, that do you until tomorrow. Give him a third of a teaspoon each time in his tea or broth. Uh, is he worse?
2: I I think he is.
1: Has he been under a
2: strain lately? Very much so. A great deal of strain. Ah. Ah, that ought to do it. Fine as talc. I'll
1: give you enough for three light doses now, and you stop by in the morning. I'll have it all made up. Ah. Here you are, Miss Elizabeth. There's enough prussic acid in this little bottle to kill every rat within 50 miles. I'll place it on your account.
2: See you tomorrow. Thank you, Mr. Parsons. Good day... Now, ladies, is there anything else in
1: that cosmetic line that perhaps I can show you? I'm not saying that is exactly the way it happened, but it certainly could have been. Those three witnesses who swore Lizzie Borden bought prussic acid the day before her father and stepmother were struck down, those three could have been victims of a druggist's prank. The following day, there was no more laughter. At 9 o'clock, Lizzie Borden was in her own house when the first
0: of two murders was committed. It was the state's contention that only Lizzie Borden could have killed her parents. Our reporter friend John Howard contends differently... You may remember he began this investigation to clear the reputation of his great-grandfather, the presiding judge at the trial. When I return with Act 3, we may learn whether John was glad or sorry he had reopened the case. Was the Lizzie Borden murder a classic case of justice or its miscarriage? New evidence intrigues John Howard. A hatchet with the initials A B carved into the age-encrusted handle, possibly belonging to Andrew Borden, and possibly the actual murder weapon. A drowned man who traveled New England. And a father with a heart ailment. All of which brings us to the murder morning.
1: August the 4th, 1892. A hot August day that promised to be a scorcher. At about 9 o'clock... Andrew Borden was upstairs with his wife. We don't know to this day how much Lizzie overheard. Abby, I tell you, you've got to stop it. This running after that man, Matthew. Now, you're a married woman. Think of our daughters, Lizzie and Emma. if you won't think of me. (laughs) Stop that. (laughs) Stop it, I say. Stop that laughter. Uh, I'll, I'll make you stop. <laughs> You'd like me to be laughed at. A public disgrace. Andrew Borden and his marriage is a joke. Can't keep his wife at home.
2: <laughs> Laugh now, Abby. <gasps>
1: And so it was that Andrew Borden, who with his own hatchet, gave his second wife Abby the forty wax, not his daughter Lizzie. For her part, downstairs, Lizzie was not certain what she'd heard. And it wasn't until her father, white-faced, gasping for breath, slowly came into the living room that she began to suspect.
2: Father, what is
1: it? <laughs> Nothing.
2: There's nothing. I, I I'm so dizzy. It feels like there's an elephant on my chest. Now lie down. Let me undo your jacket. No, no, no! Don't touch anything. Why are you holding it together like that? Have Have you got something underneath uh, No. It feels better with my arms close like this. At least. the the prescription. We we used the last of it last night, but Mr. Parsons said he'd have the rest of it ready today. I'll I'll go over to the drugstore right now. It'll be all ready. He said so. Now, don't move. Please, Father, lie right there on the sofa. I won't be long.
1: Who is it? that's you, Liz? I've got to sit up. See who. Who. who, who oh, my hatchet fell out of my coat. I've got to hide it. Who is that? Who ran upstairs just now? Liz? Is that you? Oh, they seem happy. Someone up there. Hey, yeah. You. What are you looking at me like that for? Say something. It's your fault, too. Give me that hatchet. Give it back to me. No! go tell you
2: what anguish I feel that you should suffer this double tragedy. It was so kind of you, Mr. Parsons, to come over to the house tonight. I must talk to someone. My sister wrote and said she'd never come back to Fall River. Bridget, the maid, went back to Ireland. Everyone acts as though... I was the one who killed my stepmother and father. I didn't kill him. How could they think of such a thing? Ah, people say anything. Mustn't pay any attention. It's the police. They found some burnt cloth in the furnace, and they're saying it's the dress I was wearing. There's going to be a trial soon, you know that. Yes. I'm prepared for it. Questions going to be asked, evidence presented, accusations made. And what will you say? What will I say to what? Those bits of cloth in the furnace, for instance.
1: The police also found a hatchet with a broken handle in the basement. Covered with ashes as though someone had tried to rub the blood away.
2: How do they know that was what killed them both? All I can say, and I will say it, is... Is that I didn't do it.
1: Elizabeth... It was no secret. The whole town knows about your stepmother
2: and her carryings on, and that neither you nor Emma liked her very much. I told you, Mr. Parsons, I loathed her. But I didn't kill her. Now, it's also rumored you were afraid you'd be disinherited in favor of your stepmother.
1: And that could be a motive. Oh,
2: if only they knew how pathetically untrue all that is. I was very close to my father. He told me things in confidence which I shall never reveal. As for disinheriting his daughters in favor of that woman, it's ridiculous. Could you prove that to a jury? I will do nothing to soil my father's memory. Even if your own life is in jeopardy? Mr. Parsons, I don't care what the judge or the jury will believe. You and I will never talk about this again.
1: I'll pray for you, Elizabeth, because I know you're completely innocent. I do say you're the unfortunate victim of circumstances. I hope the Lord will know that and watch over you. Well, that's my story, Louisa. Now that you've read it, what do you think?
3: You make a very good case for Lizzie.
1: Mm, As it turns out, she was acquitted anyway, but I think for the wrong reasons. My great-grandfather, Judge Earl Howard, believed she couldn't have committed those brutal, ugly crimes because she was too much of a lady. My theory is, if he'd known that Andrew, in a fit of frustration and uncontrolled anger, had killed his wife, Abby, the suspicion that hangs over Lizzie Borden to this day would never have started. Probably not. I would have liked to have written something from inside Lizzie's mind. What she might have thought just before the verdict. When she didn't know what it would be, innocent or guilty.
3: Can I try? Would you? What can I do? I have no choice. I burned the dress that was stained with father's blood because I couldn't bear to remember those minutes when I found him. And this was held up as proof of my guilt. I hated Abby, and this too was offered as proof of my guilt. Three witnesses swore upon the Bible I had bought prussic acid to kill my parents, in spite of Mr. Parsons' denial. Mr. Parsons admitted he was very fond of me. So his denial was deemed worthless. Father, I heard you accusing Abby of being faithless. I heard the muffled, strange sounds and your threats and your cries. But I never knew until I saw your white face and its look told me. I could see the hatchet you were hiding under your jacket. I ran to the drugstore for your medicine. Dearest father, I never even kissed you goodbye.
1: Louisa? I don't know what to say, but I'm going to use it word for word at the end of my story.
3: It's got no ending.
1: That's as far as I go. Maybe one day I'll do a more in-depth story. But complete or incomplete, this is what I'm taking to the courier. Today? Right now. Hey, uh, why don't you plan to stay here at the Hamilton house over the weekend? I'll be back in the morning and uh, we can backpack. You know, that hike we started but never finished.
3: That would be great. Cahill? Yes, it is. Who's this?
1: Uh, Sergeant McCauley down at the crime lab. I've been trying to reach John Howard, but I get no answer from his room. The operator suggested I ring you.
3: Oh, John drove to Boston to deliver a feature story he's been working on. The Lizzie Borden thing.
1: Oh, I see. Uh, Maybe well, I was just thinking you're a very good friend of his, aren't you?
3: Yes, very good.
1: I think it might be better if I spoke to you instead of to him. But, uh, I'd rather not say anything on the phone. Do you think you could come down to the crime lab? I won't keep you but half an hour. Uh, Miss Cahill, why was John so interested in the case?
3: His great-grandfather was the presiding judge. When he voted acquittal and Lizzie got off, his life became a misery... At best, people thought the judge a fool, at worst, a criminal. So
1: he wanted to clear the judge's name by proving Lizzie Borden was really innocent. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes what I'm going to tell you even tougher. We kept running that hatchet through the spectroscope, analyzing and reanalyzing every inch. And then on a hunch, I had the blade taken off the handle. And there, in the tiniest miniature handwriting you ever saw, was a signature.
3: Matthew Turner.
1: How did you know? Have you known all
3: along? I suspected it. He must have been very peculiar. To sign a murder weapon as if it had been a work of art. But of course, that's it. What is? He regarded the death of Andrew Borden... ...as his work of art.
1: Miss Cahill, there's one thing I... ...haven't told you. You know, when you start investigating... ...you don't know where it'll lead you. Matthew Turner was the son of Judge Earl Howard... ...which could mean he was John's great uncle. Now, how can I tell that to him? I've known him since he was a boy in this town.
3: If that isn't ironic... ...as you say... When you start investigating Here's John trying to bring credit To a maligned and abused great-grandfather And the relative even more recent Is a murderer
1: Of course, it all happened so long ago I don't know how John's going to take it
3: Can we not tell him right away, Sergeant? If someone's got to tell him, I'd like it to be me
1: What about the hatchet?
3: I sure don't want it And I don't think John does either
1: Well, could you get him to donate it to our crime museum? Maybe there'll be somebody who wants to write a really long, detailed story about Lizzie Borden and her times. New England in the 1890s. And the hatchet would be an important part of it. Writers like to see those things for themselves.
3: Who knows? Perhaps that writer will be John himself. He's made an awfully good start.
0: Do bear in mind John Howard's version of what took place in Fall River, Massachusetts, the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of August, 1892, is his personal theory. He never claimed it to be fact, nor do we. But his views were interesting enough for us to call them to the attention of you specialists in felony and transgressions, you listeners to the Mystery Theater. I shall return shortly. Search to clear his family name, our writer has rattled an unsuspected skeleton in his family's closet. We can't help observing. This often is the fate of man's actions. In uncovering one truth, one comes upon another truth that was best left hidden. For what the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Our cast included Roberta Maxwell, Jada Rowland, Robert Dryden, and Russell Horton. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall, inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. Thursday night CBS Radio Mystery Theater airs at 8.06, right here on 1160 KSL.